The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network on another soggy day for many. Arlen Suderman is joining us today with FC Stone. Lots of things that we're going to take a look at, especially on this grain complex. We saw some higher corn and beans, lower wheat. We've got some weather concerns out there. But I think, Arlen, you kind of summed it up before we started this. Another week, uh, examples of computer trading and how it affects the markets. Absolutely. When you have the majority of trades now being done by computers with billions of dollars behind them, reading uh, uh, momentum signals and making trades based on that. We saw yesterday in the wheat market how that really played out. And uh, and, and the, the more it got going, there was so many speculative shorts in the, in the wheat market that it, uh, the computers are watching for turning signals that just do that much more buying to unwind those positions. And that helps support corn and soybeans as well. And then today we see that there just really wasn't much substance underneath of it. And so wheat pulled back and corn still found a little, and soybeans found a little bit of strength uh, from rumors in in the markets about China. I, you know, those rumors are kind of interesting as, as you dive into it a little bit more, all coming down to maybe just translation and how something was read. Yeah, we'll have to see if uh, USDA confirms any sales tomorrow. But the the rumors that came out mid-morning that started supporting the corn and soybean markets was that China was back in the market buying about 3 million metric tons of U.S. corn out of the Pacific Northwest, split kind of evenly between old and new crop. And if, in fact, that would be true, then soybean traders were assuming, well, maybe they're back in for soybeans as well. But the corn balance sheet doesn't have much margin for error in it. So if they were truly going to do it, considering the the size, the large size of speculative shorts in the corn market, I would have expected a much bigger short covering rally in corn today. I don't know if it would have been as big as what we saw in wheat yesterday, but it would have been much more significant than what it was. And that just didn't happen. So we were kept looking for confirmation and we still may get confirmation that they bought some corn and rumors were some ddgs as well we'll have to wait and see if usda confirms it over the next day or two but simultaneously there was a document that came out from china indicating that they were preparing to purchase three million metric tons of corn from farmers in northeastern provinces of china and some people misinterpreted that as being three million metric tons from the Pacific Northwest. Um, now, maybe both happened, or maybe it was just a misinterpretation of that document that started a rumor floating, and once the rumor revolving China goes, it goes like wildfire through the industry. Um, and, and the fact that the corn market didn't do any more than what it did today makes me a little bit skeptical right now. It does make economic sense for China's Kafka, their state grain buying agency, to buy U.S. corn. The math does work. They could make money doing so. But whether they have actually done so or not is the big question. And uh, we've been expecting it for several months, and they haven't done it. So is today the day? Right now I'm a little bit skeptical until I see more evidence of it. Um, played out in the market. I did some uh, reading earlier as we look at the weather side that there was maybe a little bit of concern from a wheat perspective with the amount of moisture that we're seeing all the way up into the Dakotas that might have an uh, effect more on the spring wheat, obviously, than winter wheat at this point. 
oh my goodness, the snowpack is deep <laughs> in in the northern plains. And uh, when I was at Commodity Classic, I talked to farmers complaining about three to four feet of snow in their fields, and now we're adding on top of it. Now, it depends on what part of the belt you are, because it's a fine line between those who are getting dumped on with another foot and a half of snow and those that are getting the heavy rains that are melting the snow that's there and creating flooding. Either way, both will get flooding eventually, but where they're getting the rain now, they're just speeding that whole process up. Um, when you look at the Red River Valley where much of the spring wheat is planted, that, that river can get miles and miles wide when it floods. And uh, certainly much of that's wheat ground, much of it's corn and soybean ground, and that could create problems for many weeks trying to get the crop planted. And that's there in the mode of trying to move in that direction now, and they just can't. Uh, when you come further south in, you can certainly come in this area in Nebraska and uh, very wet here. Uh, with some areas of flooding, there are other areas with with snow, and then you get down to where I was at yesterday in Texas, where uh, meeting with uh, agricultural cooperative people down there, um, and the dry is a factor. Now, many of them have received some rain over the last 24 hours, but their wheat conditions have been in deterioration because of the dryness. So we're seeing all the extremes at work right now in the plains, depending on where you're located. Most of them felt like, uh, well, and I'll give one example of talking to someone in the Texas Panhandle. Felt like with the rains that they were supposed to get that they might now be able to get 15 to 20 bushel yield potential out of the crop, which is fairly typical for their area. Um, so then farmers still looking, okay, do I graze it off or do I harvest it? And a lot of them are choosing to uh, go ahead and graze it off. And I have heard, too, that the eastern corn belt is in much better shape to get started at least on a, a semi-normal planting time. Right, because they haven't had as much snow and they've had a little warmer temperature, so there's not much snow to melt and they will get off quicker. And, and when you look at the extended outlook, I think it does have some windows of opportunity there for them. Um, I, I think some of the concern areas are going to be particularly in the Delta, along the Mississippi River, in the south, uh, and in the northwestern Midwest. Uh, that's where the real concerns are going to be as we go forward. Well, stick around, folks. We're going to dive more into uh, a crop perspective of what's going to happen with an August report. Arlen has all the, and I use the, the joking word, the dirt on this. So stick around. More is coming up along with a look at the happenings of the livestock side of the trade as well. You are listening to the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on a Wednesday on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as Arlen Suderman joins us from FC Stone. I kind of joked, and I'm sure the joke fell flat, but we were going to get the dirt when it comes to this changes that we're seeing in the August crop report. We saw the announcement come yesterday from the USDA, but Arlen, you were able to find out some more concrete information as well as to what those changes will be and why. Yeah, the press release wasn't real clear, so I called USDA and talked to uh, uh, one of the representatives working and having to do with the decision. And it really comes down to something we debate every year. Uh, when we get that August production estimate and we say, you know, the crop isn't very mature, how could they tell? 
Um, they really can't tell a whole lot about uh, kernel length on the 1st of uh, August, uh, especially in some of those later developing states where the crop matures or, or where the pollination is later. And in, in fact, in some states, they haven't even pollinated yet. And uh, so as a result of looking at that, they decided to pull away from their objective data in that uh, August report and not do it anymore. And what that means is for the May report, that's when we first get USDA's first supply and demand balance sheet for the new crop year, for the new marketing year. So in May of this year, it will be for the 2019 crop and the 2019-20 marketing year. And that the yield that they use in that balance sheet will be from their model that they use to derive a trend yield. And they will generally use that yield then as well in the June and July crop reports. So purely statistically driven yield estimate. The August uh, report will be based on farmer surveys predominantly. Uh, what do you think your crop looks like? What do you think the yield is in your crop? And then they will make adjustments to that based on satellite data that they have. It'll weigh heaviest on the farmer surveys, but then look where satellite data may disagree with that, maybe tweak it a little bit for that. But they're starting to get enough of a history now. They've been looking at satellite data for enough years. They're starting to get a little history. They're starting to feel better about that. It'll still be more on the farmer survey, but they'll make adjustments. Then in the September report, it'll be the combination of those factors put together with the field plots that they have where they actually pull the ears, weigh them on soybeans, count pods, etc., as they have been doing in the past. So it's a change in procedure from the past, and uh, it'll make things interesting. It really makes that September report the more significant report now in the future versus the August one used to always be the really big one. Nice to hear because, you know, you guys have been saying for a while that there needed to be change. And that, that's saying not only from you guys, but the uh, the producers as well. So good to hear that the USDA is moving forward on some of those suggestions. Yeah, they're trying to be responsive. And uh, if it was a good conversation, they're just really trying to do a good job. We can argue with the job that they're doing. But as we work with our people around the world, uh, what USDA does is really the envy of the world. Jump over to the livestock side, uh, Chinese pork prices. We've seen some, some jumps in their prices. Are we starting to see some stabilization maybe back after the African swine fever? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we saw prices go wild right after African swine fever showed up, and, and that was for two reasons. For one, we saw producers afraid of the disease uh, pulling hogs to market early and liquidating herds, trying to get what value they could out of the hogs creating a surge of meat available on the market. But they also had the transportation ban they put on in early September to try to stop the spread of the, the disease. Some places, some provinces had very few slaughter plants relative to production, and some had very little production relative to slaughter plants. So you had this big diversion and diversification in prices. Then China took off most of those transportation bans, and prices started coming together again. But now we're seeing a shortage of pork develop. That surge of pork has gone through the system. Now we're seeing a shortage of pork. And over the last week to 10 days, 
pork prices as well as hog prices. So both cash pork and cash hog prices have really surged in value. And that does give us some hope and some promise that maybe we'll see China step up the purchases on the export market then as well. What are your thoughts on the gains we've seen in the cattle market? Uh, yesterday, we saw that uh, trading and liquidation take things too far, too fast to the downside. Uh, and so we were due for a bounce. And then we have the winter storm weather that we talked about earlier coming in and creating more problems for the herds. Um, that combination provides support as well. Considering those two things, I was really disappointed with the performance today and the fact that we couldn't mount more of a rally uh, in, in the face of the winter storm, in the face of overdoing it yesterday. Uh, was very big disappointment and uh, I'm afraid leaves a little bit of a shadow over the market even though we did finish positive. All right, sounds good, Arlen. What's the best way for producers to get a hold of you? intlfcstone.com or on Twitter, twitter.com slash arlen.ff Oh, not FF101. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Arlen Suderman, joining us. Thanks to Fontenelle and all the local Fontenelle dealers. It's a Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network.